and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 507. Hodgepodge. <laughs> just going to keep calling. I'm going to call these assorted things a hodgepodge just to piss you off from now on. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't necessarily know if this one's truly hodgepodge. I guess eh, I don't know. I think it it very loosely fits into that into that definition, I think. Don't worry, guys. At some point, we'll start covering Green Lantern stuff again. But uh, frankly speaking, there's nothing to cover, is there, guys? No. So, like, <laughs> just calm down. Uh, we're just going to talk about stuff that interests us. And thank God, you know, news is breaking and things are coming out. And we just want to talk about all of that. Uh, it is still the Green Lantern show. We'll get to some stuff that we haven't already covered that we want to by next episode. So don't worry about it. That being said, what are we talking about tonight? <laughs> Chad will begin as begin blah 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 blah. He will begin with uh so, something uh a surprise. Yeah. And then once we get moved once we move beyond that, and then we're gonna talk the two the only real two trailers I think of consequence that came out of the Super Bowl. We're gonna talk to Flash, we're gonna talk Guardians Three, and then we're gonna talk about some a whole bunch of uh different MCU things have kind of like been bubbling to the surface. Maybe not coincidentally as Ant Man Quantumania is about to roll out uh, one day from now as we're recording this. So that's the itinerary for the evening. All right. So the first thing we're going to talk about tonight is one of the things from my top five list this year of movies I was looking forward to. My number five, which is the Legion of Superheroes direct to market animated feature. Uh, it has released on Blu-ray as well as on digital, of course, um, and is out there for you folks to consume. I have watched it and... Who um that good, huh? In retrospect, now that, know, <laughs> now, that I, now that I know it, it wouldn't have made my top five. Ooh. Now I don't know that it wouldn't have been I don't know that it's a monkey crap, but it's definitely a uh honorable mention, low, low tier honorable honorable mention. Um this one's gonna be impossible to talk about, guys, without getting into some spoilers. So I know not a lot of people care too much about spoilers with regards to this kind of thing, but should you be the type to care about it? Spoilers. It's the Legion. Other than maybe Dan, nobody cares about it. <laughs> Go for it, Chad. Um, so this story is essentially... I, I haven't read much Supergirl titles directly, so as far as I'm aware, there's a couple of different schools of thought for continuity of Supergirl, but usually this this is very much the... Girl from Krypton, teenager, used to a certain level of tech and advancement uh, and social understanding and stuff like this. 
who is feels like not only not only is she in a situation where she lost everybody she knows and remembers uh, in the life that she once had, but she's also very much trapped in the past. She's very much in a primitive era. So she she's not only a fish out of water species wise, she's a fish out of water and just understanding everything feels so, you know, ancient and 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 unadvanced and and so on and so so forth to her which frustrates her even further um and she doesn't have as good a control on her powers because she feels this way kal-el you know uses a time sphere that the legion gave him to bring her to the future so that she feels a little bit more at home and then she can train with the legion all of this happens really quickly um there's a fight with solomon grundy who for some reason has an advanced weapon and are you familiar with the dc villain characters or nebulous organization known as the circle the name sounds familiar but i would be hard pressed to figure out who the hell's in it right so the circle uh in this one it's it's i know what we've heard of the circle before i think what we know comic wise of the circle is is such that it's such a reclusive and and rarely used organization that it really doesn't matter who's in it or what their origins are. What's weird though. And this is the first, and this is why I'm getting into spoilers here in the fight with Solomon Grundy. We briefly see a couple of members of the circle peeking around the corner of an alley out at, out at what's been going on. And it looks like they're the ones who supplied Grundy with, with his weapon or something like that. Right. And that's all we see of them for the moment. And then Kara goes to the future. Superman tells her she's going to train, blah, blah, blah. The circle are our big bads, essentially, for what's happening in the main story. But there's, as far as I can, can, can tell, there's really no connection between the events that we see the circle in when they're fighting Grundy in the introduction of this movie to the circle that is present for the villainous undertakings that happen, you know, however many centuries in the future the Legion is. I don't know what the connection is other than maybe just establishing that they're always around. I, I don't know. Um, obviously, she has problems with Brainiac 5 because he's a Brainiac. Brainiacs can't be trusted, blah, 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 blah. There's a lot of stuff in this movie that just sort of happens really quickly. Almost like you would wish much in the same way we were talking about Dark Crisis, how like it would have gone a little smoother if we had like a reaction panel or two between some of the panels we were reading. Something like that. Like we were missing a reaction scene or a little bit of a characterization scene between scene A and scene B. It just sort of click, click, click real a little too conveniently, a little too quickly. The big guy here, the big uh, bad here is Brainiac, who is leading the 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 um the circle. But like not Brainiac 5, Brainiac, traditional Brainiac. Um, but here's the thing. The inside man for Brainiac on the part of the circle is Monel. They made Monel of all people a inside traitor within the Legion. Yeah, kind of stupid. Yeah, I, I, there's a lot of different members of the Legion you could play with, but and I know you hate the Legion. Well, hate the Legion is strong, but you you don't have much love for the Legion. But I know even you like Monel to some extent. To make Monel the bad guy, that is such a mischaracterization of that character, and that really rubbed me the wrong way. Now, 
I was looking forward to this movie for two reasons. I said Dawnstar and I said Shadowlash. Those remain strong. Um, Shadow, because, um, because she's training with the Legion, if for anybody who's ever read classic Legion comics or even mostly modern comics, there's always Legion tryouts, right? And somebody makes the Legion. There's a team of Legionnaires and then they're always accepting new members and stuff like that. Well, they take that idea, but also do sort of a training academy with it. So they, you know, a lot of applicants, but only some make the class, right? To, to learn about the, the ways of the Legion or whatever. But only one of the class will become a member, a full-fledged member of the Legion. And in that class, we have like Triplicate Girl, Bouncing Boy, Arms Fall Off Boy, um, Dawn Star, Brainiac 5, and Supergirl. Uh, and I think one or two others that don't get a whole lot of face. Oh, Phantom Girl. Phantom Girl is in there. And um, Dawn Star is like the perky sort of um, roommate for Kara. Uh, and... I kind of like that. That was okay. They did portray her powers very well at one point. She does get a, a really good spotlight moment where she uses her powers um, because the Legion is missing. The the actual Legion is missing. Um, Timberwolf, um, I think Karate Kid, and Shadow Lass are the three active actual members of the Legion who are there running the Academy while the rest of the Legion are out on mission. Um but they've lost contact with the Legion and they're keeping that a secret from the class. Right. So at one point, Dawnstar goes, uses her powers to locate the Legion. Um, and that was really cool the way they did that. And shadow lass, uh, gets even more appearance on screen and talk time than Dawnstar does because she's one of the actual members of the Legion who's left behind. And we get to see her costume, uh, and, and powers and stuff used very well. So that was very cool. Um, so my reasons for wanting to see it, Shadow Lass and Dawnstar, I have no problems with their characterization, usage, voice cast, uh, so on and so forth. That was great. But the rest of this was just really sort of conveniently paced, um, a little too quickly done, and making Monel the bad guy really sat wrong with me. Like, if you gotta make somebody an inside, inside man, I, I, I get it, but like, Monel's the wrong choice. Yeah, I would agree. That doesn't seem like a particularly bright move. Yeah, Monel's Monel is look, guys, Kal-el and and Kara and stuff. Well, certain iterations of Kara and stuff like that. They're very hopeful beings. They're you know stuff like that's that's kind of like the L way. But you got to remember, guys, Monel is a Daxamite. He's not he's not a Kryptonian. He's not a member of the L family. But he adopted the mentality, he adopted the outlook, he adopted the, the shield in a way as a tribute to who Superman and the L family was. Like, obviously, the Legion in the future is all inspired by Superman, but Monel got to know Clark and kind of became adopted to it. Like, if you go by the if you go by the original story, like the original first appearance of, of Monel, he shows up. And he's got a lot of the same superpowers as Clark. Clark, this is Superboy at the time. He's not Superman. This is Superboy. He notices that Monel doesn't react to certain things certain ways, and he thinks, even though Monel has has amnesia and doesn't know what has happened to him, and has not been lying to Clark at all because he doesn't know anything about his past and his being straightforward with him about that, Clark still thinks. This guy is trying to trick me and he's a he's he's a he's an evil person. 
So what he ends up doing is he ends up painting a rock of or a piece of lead to look like kryptonite and holds it up to Monel as a way to go, ha ha, you aren't really Kryptonian because you're not reacting to kryptonite or you were, you're reacting, but it's not really kryptonite. And he goes, oh, and then his memory comes back and he's like, it's because I'm a Daxamite and lead is my kryptonite and you've just poisoned me. So now Clark has to lock him away in the phantom zone. So for all of you uninitiated out there, the original appearance of Monel, Clark is the reason Monel is locked in the Phantom Zone until the Legion shows up in the future to cure his lead poisoning. But regardless of all that, any other time we've seen Monel and his origins and his reactions, he is such a pure-hearted character, and especially with the idea that he has been trapped in the Phantom Zone forever. And given the amount of time it takes between his first introduction to Clark and when he's released in the Legion, I would even venture to say Monel had been in the Phantom Zone longer than Zod. So the idea that this kid is just locked in the Phantom Zone and still comes out this hopeful, I mean, just whatever you want to describe him as, the character of Monel being evil just. Yeah, sorry. I know I've already said it, but it, I, I'm just really trying to drive home to the people listening for anybody who doesn't understand who Monel is that this is not just, oh, I didn't like that. This is just really bad characterization. <laughs> yeah, it certainly sounds that way. <laughs> so, um, I, th- I still think if you're killing time, it's probably worth a watch, uh, especially if you have no particular attachment to any Legionnaire or whatever. But if just the idea of making Monel the bad guy sits bad with you, it's not like he's, at least in this film, it's not like he's possessed or under the influence or anything like that. Um, the, he's just straight up bad. So, uh, if, if you want to watch it, go for it. It's, it's an okay ish movie, but, uh, you know, have fun. <laughs> it, uh, I, it would not be in my top five knowing what I know about it now. Well, it's sad on some level that it disappointed you, but look at the subject matter and <laughs> and you and, and you, you kind of reap what you sow when it comes to that one. <laughs> you were asking for it. Yeah, it does. It does kind of fit the mold of Legion to get excited about it only to be let down. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that sums it up. All right, what's next? We're gonna do the Flash trailer. Woo! The Flash trailer. The Batman trailer featuring the Flash. Uh, now you sound like Jim, except Jim does it for different reasons than you. Uh, all right. So, well, I think considering considering that we're only going to do two trailers and it's kind of relevant, I think we'll actually play both of these on on the actual episode. I'll, I'll bleep out some of the music for Guardians to play it safe, but we don't really have that problem, I think, with this one. <laughs> all right. So let's watch this sucker and then we'll come back. Tell me something. You can go anywhere. Another timeline. Another universe. So why do you want to stay and fight to save this one? Because this is the world where my mom lives. I'm not going to lose her again. Time has a pattern that it can't help reliving. Different people, different worlds, drawn to each other like magnets. 
my face. So my face. If you were to go into the past, you have no idea what the consequences can be. Bruce, I could fix things. You could also destroy everything. This can't be happening. I completely broke the universe. Sorry. We've been waiting for you. I created a world with no metahumans. And now there's no one to defend us. Want some help? Was that a little hint of the John Williams theme at the end? Uh, it might have been. Uh, how how far? How many seconds in? Because I stopped it at two forty nine. For what it's worth, it was when before. when 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 car she is was, flying. Yeah, when car is flying, he's videotaping. Yeah, I have to go back and I'll try to I'll go back and listen to it later. It probably I wouldn't be I would not be surprised if there was a hint. Yeah. Of the of the Christopher Reeve, the classic Superman theme. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is the this is actually without a question. This is the trailer of the Super Bowl. I mean, this is of all of the things that it was a fairly uneventful trailer package, not just of movies, but even of in, even the commercials for the most part. I thought were so so for the Super Bowl. But from a, from a movie trailer perspective, though we didn't get many, it's pretty clear this was the winner of the group. Not surprisingly. Uh, there's lots to unpack in this trailer. I think, in a way, I think the most fascinating and most optimistic thing for DC about this trailer is that based on just what they show you on screen, they actually make you give a shit about Barry, <laughs> which is not an easy sell these days, not just simply because of the Ezra Miller stuff, but just because Snyder, even factoring in the Snyder Cut version, you know, Barry has not been the most compelling character in the in the Snyderverse. So that making making you feel like you're invested or will be invested in his actual story in this movie, let alone with all the superfluous uh and cute little multiverse things we're gonna be dealing with and and variations on the Flashpoint uh classic well I don't know if you really can, can call Flashpoint a classic story, but the original way it played out that the way they're making changes to it. The fact that 
the Ezra Miller part, the Flash part, the Barry Allen part looks actually pretty intriguing onto itself, I think is a big plus for this movie. And I think it, it certainly will help not just drive up the interest in the movie, but I think from a marketing perspective, assuming Ezra Miller keeps does not do any Ezra Miller does not continue to do Ezra Miller things and continues the company line, sane, clean rehab version of what he's been doing for the last like few months. If that were to continue, the actual Ezra Miller part, Barry Allen part of this movie is still actually marketable. So that's a, I think that's a, another potential big plus when it comes to this movie for DC. Yeah. Um, in terms of Flashpoint, I think, I mean, other than the fact, go back, save your mom, break the universe thing. I think the only real Flashpoint element I saw, at least in terms of being relatively lifted out of the actual comic event was this sort of, um, uh, bat lightning rod thing to give him his powers back. I guess the, at least I would assume that's what that brief scene was with the lightning traveling down the, the cord and into Barry. Well, and Kara. Kara's being locked away like Clark, like Clark was. Oh, yeah. Clark Clark was locked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so I would assume, is this, uh, that's a world where either Clark did land, but somehow died, or instead of Clark, it's Kara. I'm going to work under the assumption that, even though, again, we could f- maybe... There's no way to know, so this is pure speculation. I'm yeah, going yeah. to guess it's a world in which Kara landed and Clark did not. That's gotcha. what I'm going to guess. And obviously, technically speaking, we know the Michael Keaton Batman will be playing the Thomas Wayne Batman role in this movie, which is probably, again, from a marketing perspective, is smart. I mean, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, I'm sure, would have been a great Thomas Wayne Batman. But the reality is this... Long before Ezra Miller blew up into a problem, Michael Keaton was always the big draw to this movie. Yeah. Michael Keaton coming back as Batman was an incredible draw to this movie. And the some people I think were I, I think some people were surprised that Ben Affleck was actually in the movie, which shouldn't be surprising because the only the only Ben Affleck appearance that might be gone would be the one that was supposed to be in Aquaman. We knew he was always going to be in this movie because before Barry does what he does, it begins in the universe that we're used to. So so Ben Affleck is Bruce Wayne in that universe. Yeah. So it has to start with him being Batman, even if it ends when everything gets reset, that someone else is Batman and, and, and back in Barry's universe. It doesn't really matter that. So I don't know. I think this, this trailer really I mean. I think this trailer just really works on so many levels. I think some some people were surprised with the Zod thing, though. I guess that, that that's not. I think I had heard about Michael Shannon being in this movie. Not that I'm a big Michael Shannon guy, but I think I had heard that he was that that part was pretty. That was going to be one of those things they were going to you know basically do a vary do a variation on because of the way he, Barry breaks breaks the timeline. The two Barrys and how that and how that's going to play out the, the two the two different flashes with the blue power and the yellow and the yellow power that's going to be that's going to be interesting in in the context of what they want to accomplish in this movie and blue has to be ours right based on what we've seen so far what did you say blue lightning has to be ours right based on everything we've seen of this Barry so far that's an interesting point because I hadn't. Is Barry all blue in in, in yeah? Because I've Snyderverse? I've talked about it before. I really don't look. I don't mind that when Barry's in motion in the Snyderverse that 
lightning is crackling around him. They've always played with that concept with the flash, but the thing I don't like about it, I remember distinctly is we saw the effects of said lightning. So it would strike things and burn them a little, like obviously not a lot, but it would, you could see it sparking off of things and turning off lights and stuff like that. So I, I didn't, I didn't like that his lightning aura was destroying things around him or whatever. Um, and I, because I remember that the lightning we've seen from Barry has always been blue, I believe, in the Snyderverse. Uh, I mean, you may be right about that. For some, I'm gonna, I'm going to say that my instinct was when I saw the trailer that the blue was not Barry, was not our Barry, that the that the one in the red costume was our Barry, and the one in the blue was not. I mean, yeah, I could be wrong, but, but I'm, I'm that's just based on some of, based on what we're seeing in the movie what they're showing to us and some of the scenes in the movie plus based on some of the leaks for toys and stuff we know that one of the one of the barrys end up seemingly getting an old bat costume that he uses as his as a modified version to be his flash costume so mm-hmm. i would suspect that would be easier to do that with the blue cut co- with, with having a the blue barry than the 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 red the red and yellow barry uh it's also interesting seeing the ben affleck bat suit being more gray and blue which yeah. is kind of cool. Uh little old school there, like 70s, 60s, 70s Batman. That's kind of maybe maybe a different suit for daytime Batman, which doesn't really exist very often and most people don't like. But maybe that's why the suit is a tad. Maybe the colors are slightly. I saw or, some people online talking about how the they saw the chonky, the chonky bat cycle. And they were like, yeah. oh, the Christian Bale Batman's back. I was like, you don't remember what that bat cycle looks like, do you? Yeah. Pe- <laughs> yeah. Pe- yeah. Pe- people people pointed out they did a They they did a they did a comparison to show you that that's not what the bat pod thing looked like from. Yeah. The bat, the bat pod had one big fat ass wheel. <laughs> yeah. And the guns and everything else. Yeah, that, yeah. That, I mean, plus you can when you slow it down in different scenes, it, it, it's that is that that is absolutely the Ben Affleck Batman, which, of course, doesn't mean that you couldn't get a cameo of another True. Batman. But the point is, based on the action that we're seeing and all the scenes that we're seeing, it it, it would it certainly appears to be the only two Batman that they're showing us are the Michael Keaton and the uh, Ben Affleck. Yeah. So that I don't know. I think the I think the Supergirl stuff's going to work for me. Uh, I know she's not blonde. And I, I was I was looking. I mean, I, and, and obviously you, a lot we've a lot of us have seen pictures from of of Supergirl previously yeah. when they were making the movie and and even some cl- and even some clips because actually she was in the she was in the the teaser trailer that they showed centuries ago, I believe. But and I, I started I was looking at it and it's like I mean I don't really have a preference for hair length, you know, with with women. I mean, I think I do kind of like short. Yeah, I don't really have a preference. Let me stick to that. But I think short hair or like shaved sides, things like that work for me. But I was looking and I was trying to think, why does that look appeal to me? And then I, she reminds me of Jenna Ortega, I think. And that's the reason why it probably works because I like Jenna or I like Jenna Ortega so much. And, but I think that look with the short, with the short hair, especially with the, when she's in the costume, I think, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to be fine with the fact that she's not. That she's not like got the blonde Nordic look to to Kara, so I think I think that'll be, I think that's going to be cool. The ring, obviously, using seeing the flash ring, that was kind of a nice touch. Uh, I I must admit, I kind of like the fact that they had the kid who played the kid who was playing young Barry kind of runs awkwardly, which kind of makes it perfect since we know we all know 
there's been a lot of criticism about how how uh, Ezra Miller runs as Barry. <laughs> so it kind of it matches perfectly in a way that he kind of looks like as a as a as a kid he kind of looks like he had like an awkward gait. So it might it kind might match kind of like that over exaggerating or exaggerated running style that Barry has as at least as the Flash. So. Yeah, the look of uh, the actress who plays Kara actually reminds me of uh, a young Letty. So for those, yeah, of you, I could uh, see that too. Yeah, but a younger like, Michelle Rodriguez. Yeah, yeah. There, there's, there, there is, there absolutely is something about, about that, about that look, and I think, I think it works. I think it is. I know, I know some people again, and because it's the drug of the moment, and people just they don't pay attention or they just want to support their own narrative. I know some people are just using this as a, Oh, like it's insulting to Henry Cavill that, you know, someone else is playing like they, they basically replaced Superman with Supergirl. And it's another, like somehow it's another diss on Henry Cavill. When the reality is this, they had made the decision to go with the Supergirl route in this movie, literally how many friggin' years ago? Yeah, I don't want to <laughs> hear it. I'm, I'm, I'm this done. movie is so behind schedule from when it was supposed to be released originally to begin with. That you know that this has nothing to do with Henry Cavill. It has nothing to do with James Gunn. It has nothing to do with The Rock. All this stuff was decided, like probably, probably actually was decided probably close to f- at least five years ago when this movie was first being decided. Was going through its multiple incarnations of getting directors and everything else, let alone once they started filming it. So they made the decision just like they decided. It's you may not like it, you may like it, but it's not any different than the decision to go with. Being having Michael Keaton be another version of Batman as opposed to having to do the doing the Thomas Wayne version. Yeah, I'm done with the Snyderverse stuff. I'm I'm just I don't know if you saw it, but the, a new viral thing going around is someone made a digital CGI type thing of Zack Snyder calling everybody to action while wearing a Superman suit. No. And then, and then they also made a counterpart video where it's James Gunn talking, but talking shit about, you know, you know, kind of making him out to be a bad guy or whatever. And they're making that go like they're creating like almost deep fake light content to to fit their narrative. And I'm like, look, at this point, if you're if if you're one of those Snyderverse extremists, stop listening. I'm done with you. I'm done with your movement. I'm done with absolutely everything you have to offer right now. It's just annoying at this point. It's infantile and it's annoying and I'm done. So I never want to deal with the Snyderverse bullshit ever again. <laughs> yeah, hopefully this will be uh this will put the fork in it. I mean, we know the gun the gun saffron thing will. Even though it will be curious to see. Depending first of all, we have to see how this where this movie ends, how it ends, where it takes us. But it will be curious to see. If this movie's really, really, really popular, and some of the characters, obviously, besides the Michael Keaton Batman that you expect to be popular, it'll be interesting to see, even if under the Elseworlds label, if it does create an opening to see more of some of these characters again, where maybe the the current plan is not to see any of these characters or revisit any of these worlds again. But if this movie is that successful... Maybe they'll maybe that'll be a slight change that they'll make to make an Elseworlds movie to pick up on some of these characters and some of these uh, scenarios again. It's so, possible, but I really doubt it. If they do it, like narratively speaking, fitting in with the Elseworlds speak, you know, idea and stuff like that, I understand it. But do not give these people any more ammo. Don't don't feed it anymore. I'm done. If we're gonna end the universe. 
end it. I don't want any more threads for these idiots to latch on to. Yeah, it'll be see. It'll also be interesting to see how they do the flashpoint thing. Is it just because you know? Does Barry like? I'm yeah. I'm just going to be curious to see how it how it all goes down because of the fact that how the Michael Keaton Batman fits into it because of the fact that we already know that there was one universe obviously that Michael Keaton had already been Batman in seemingly independent of anything Barry did though of course he could always retcon it but the question is you know does does Barry's adventures in time traveling and screwing around with stuff does he you know does he end up going in just basically going into Bruce's that Bruce's universe and that's the universe that he screws up or or that he screws he screws up his universe and his our universe and our and his attempt to try to fix it then he ends up traveling to a different universe and then he then so that so that i'm so that how it's all going to come together and how uh related to because you are obviously dealing with a pre-existing batman character it that that's kind of i'm curious about that a little bit too but i don't see anything in i think this trailer was certainly worth the wait and I think I'm glad it was almost a three minute trailer. They didn't screw around and give you this garbage, you know, 90 second trailer of just barely anything. And then which they could have if they wanted to, because of the fact that you still have until June until this movie comes out. They could have plenty of time to do other trailers. But I still think regardless of what, what it ends up meaning at the end of the day and that I still think it's going to I would bet that this will be the this will be our best comic book movie of the year. I so it certainly has done nothing to lessen my expectation or the or the hopes that I have for this movie by putting it number one on my list. I I, I feel more emboldened by by seeing this trailer. Yep, um, it's cool, and uh, we'll see. All right, Guardians. All righty, ready. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk we're gonna we're gonna play we're gonna listen to Guardians, but we probably will not put Guardians in just because there's so much music in there. Even doing a whole lot of editing and the let's and then let's be honest, since it's since we're doing this via audio, not doing video too, there's no point in just in silencing out the audio because there's no point keeping it then. <laughs> so you know, if ninety percent of what we have to do is, is silencing it out, then there's no point in doing it because it's not like you're watching us or listening to us watch it and, and us talking over silence on the on the on the actual trailer. It's not the same thing but the way we do it. So the odds are we're just gonna go we're just you're just gonna get us our post trailer discussion, but but either way, we will listen to it now. <laughs> All right, be right back. All righty. Ah, uh, any port in a storm, Peter Quill. <laughs> See, the, 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 the funny part about that is the reality is the majority of the part of the trailer I actually really liked is is the Nebula stuff, even though I don't like her look in this movie. I don't know what it is. I I, I mean, her face, I mean, I, not a no, face. I know what it is. She's too soft. Yes, she's, exactly. She's, yeah, she's, I was just going to say her, yep. I was. You you said it in a better you said it in a physically physically you mean right? It, it, so she because she was angry villainous or whatever it was like her face was always tensed like she was she would never smile she would never what like she she always looked harsh because she's kind of switched sides she's she looks gentler. I also she, I don't know it also again honestly it also looks like for whatever reason it looks like Karen Gillan's face just looks a little. Let's be polite and say fuller. Yeah. I, 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 but it, that, I just don't mean that because she's beautiful. It doesn't really matter. It's just 
Yeah. Her face looks less mechanical anyway, I think. Yeah. I don't like the blade thing on her arm that they show a lot in this trailer, which is not entirely new, but I don't, I think we've seen things like that before, but I don't like her physic. I don't like the physicality of what they're showing with Nebula, but Nebula as a character and, and the way she acts in this trailer is what is to me the best part about this, which is one of the, which is part of the reason why it's interesting because the two guardians I like the most are the guardians that are not even, uh, actually you can make a case the three guardians I like the most are not even regular guardians or long time guardians because I like her. I like Mantis and I'm, uh, and Craglin. And you can make a case Cosmo, too. I don't really give much of a crap about any of the original team, except for Rocket's kind of grown on you. And I do like, now that Groot's not a, an obnoxious kid anymore, I think I'm going to like this Groot a lot more. Because I did like him in the, in the holiday special. But the, but, the core, but the core four, if you will, of, of Gamora, Peter, Drax, and Rocket, only Rocket's the one I've really been able to deal with lately um kind of i'm not sure how this version of gamora is going to work because we assume she's going to soften as the movie goes on but again it's so it's kind of like been there done that to a certain extent the whole and obviously they're playing up the whole emotional aspect that this is the end of the run for this not just james gunn with these guys but this is going to be the end of the run for some of these characters literally and certainly the team as we know them they're not giving away a whole lot of plot other than we know it's going to involve the Guardians coming into conflict with the high evolutionary, probably because of something going on with Rocket. Not that it's not that it's necessarily out of character, but they've made the high evolutionary so blatantly douchey that that kind of when you make somebody that one dimensional, it kind of makes it. Now, again, he could be one dimensional, but he could be a one dimensional villain, but he has a point. And if you see it in the movie, then it could still work. But you just I'm not impressed. especially because he doesn't look like the high evolutionary either i hate when they when they really screw up characters looks he has such a distinctive look in the comic book with his helmet and everything and they've screwed that up so much in this we still have no idea about adam warlock and his role in this movie and how much how much he's going to be in it and how much he's going to be an antagonist or a protagonist or when he's going to go back and forth music is good you know fits the trailer i don't know i I think this might be slightly better than the first trailer. I think I think I do like this better than the first trailer because the first trailer began with stupid Drax knocking that kid out with the with the ball, and that was just so freaking stupid. Yeah, this is this this is the first trailer did nothing for me. No, I, I'm curious about this movie now based on the trailer. Yes, I w- I think they know they can sell this movie the way they're doing it, even though it's Marvel. So the odds are they'll screw it up at the end anyway, and so give you way too much information i mean i'm not saying they shouldn't have a third trailer which gives you a little more plot of what's going on i think they should and they probably will because this movie doesn't come out till may but they could they could continue this tack of going of going for the emotional beats and getting you involved because this is the end of the journey but i think it would work because this movie to a large extent is going to sell itself that and i think just like Based on what we've seen, I don't think that many people are going to be going in thinking this is going to have huge ramifications for phase five and phase six because of the actual content of what happens in this movie. And maybe after Ant-Man, maybe that's going to be a refresher. Maybe that's what people are going to be looking for in a way that, hey, it's nice to have a movie that stands alone and works on its own and and is self-contained, but doesn't and it is enjoyable. It just works from a plot perspective. 
But um, I think, but I think they're clearly doing that. I think it surprised me a little, not in this trailer, but just in general, that it was it was always a crapshoot to me what they were going to do, whether they were going to do a Guardians trailer or whether they were going to give us a, a teaser for the Marvels, like on the Super Bowl. And this is kind of traditional Marvel marketing. So maybe if the, if Chapek were still in business there, maybe they would have given us the Marvels instead and held off on Guardians a little bit longer or held off even if holding on to it a little bit longer was just until like a couple of days later, like now, right before Ant-Man came out. But this is a traditional way Marvel does it is that Ant-Man's up now. Guardians is on deck. When Guardians is about to come out, that's when they're going to switch and start pushing the Marvels. Now, the Marvels needs it a lot more than Guardians does. And especially depending on what happens with Ant-Man, they're going to really need to push that movie and do whatever they can to, to shore up that movie. But I think this trailer does work. I still I'm not going to lie. I don't think either one of these two trailers for Guardians have been particularly impressive, especially just as a overall trailer, especially like today I saw the Creed three final trailer. Can't believe the tickets are still not on sale yet. That's just boggles my mind. And I may come back to that before we leave, but two trailers for Creed, both very, very, very good. And I think the guardian, I think the guardians trailers are okay. I don't think they're great. I think they're okay, but this certainly is better. They're moving in the right direction. So I think that is something. Yeah. Um, I, I enjoyed the trailer. I have a lot of curiosity for the rocket stuff. Um, especially, you know, um, we, we, we touched on this obviously a bit during the, um, guardians two movie, you know, how rockets always been kind of an ass. So him softening a little bit and, 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 you know, owning the fact that that's his family and stuff like that. That's, uh, that's been a good journey for him as a character. So I'm definitely curious a bit about that. Um, obviously the curiosity about who dies, um, is, is there, uh, Guardians is a team with an ever changing roster, comic book wise. Um, not that I speak from experience because I'm more of a DC guy, but I do at least know that much about Marvel that it's a rotating cast, uh, of, of different characters have made up the team known as the Guardians of the Galaxy. So it makes sense that the, if they're going to continue because, you know, in terms of keeping big actors, uh, contracts and stuff like that going, you're going to have to eventually start, you know, if you're going to keep this universe going, uh, you're going to have to eventually just start cycling through people. So it's definitely time to kill one of the guardians or two or three. Um, so we'll see that. Uh, I told Mark off air before we started recording. I'm just really pissed that I'll never own the first appearance of Adam Warlock now because of this movie. Uh, um, <laughs> It is now jumped beyond uh, my current price range, at least. Uh, and I don't like counting my chickens before they're hatched. So I don't want to say that I'll be making a scads more in the near future and then it'll come back into my price range. But um, I am excited for the Adam Warlock that we can see in this. I'm, I like getting to see him a little bit in action here um, in this uh, in this trailer. And I hope that we get to see more of him in the film and that we didn't just see you know, kind of basically a half of his entirety in the movie, uh, just within this trailer. Um, I hope they utilize him quite a bit. Um, as for everything else, yeah, the, the Peter thing with, the with Gamora, it, it, you know, you like, you, like you mentioned, we've seen it before. Drax has just been a one note character the entire time. I was talking about rockets development 
if you really think about it, other than, you know, just, you know, warming up to this team, Drax doesn't really have much development, period. Uh, you know, he talks about his wife and his kid and stuff like that, but he didn't get to do anything to Thanos either. So, like, oh, who cares? I also think the same thing is true of Mantis. We learned a lot about Mantis, obviously, uh, or, you know, it was revealed stuff that you probably should have already known uh, during the Christmas special, which was cool. Um, but Mantis, similarly to Drax, although more likable, <laughs> is also seemingly kind of one note to me if you really think about it. Um, Groot, it'll be fun to see, you know, what he's up to and stuff like that. But, you know, uh, you know, same Groot, different, different, uh, body, different age, um, kind of a thing. So really, I guess the only draw here for me are Rocket, Nebula, and, uh, and, uh, Warlock. I thought you liked Mantis, though. I do like Mantis. I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't necessarily, just because they're one note doesn't mean they can. So to me, Drax is, I mean, they're all likable, but in terms of a sliding scale of likable, I would say Drax is, Drax is unlikable, annoying, one note. Um, Mantis is, Mantis is one note that you, you can't get enough of a guilty pleasure. Uh, stupid and adorable and, you know, uh, loving and all, you know, she's very endearing and stuff. Drax just grates on your nerves sometimes. Drax is just an he's just an annoying character. He has his moments when he's actually funny, but especially I mean, especially when you go back and you look at Guardians, too. I mean, he was just the way I mean, just all the humor at man, like especially at Mantis's expense. I know yeah. obviously they try to soften that, if not retcon it by by the de, uh, delving into the Mantis uh, Drax relationship in the holiday special. Yeah. But the reality is, I mean, he's just yeah, he's just. You know, we get that he doesn't get sarcasm, but it still doesn't give him a blank check. He's just, yeah, he he is a very he's a very very one note character. I don't see, I don't necessarily know if I agree that Mantis is one note. I think if if she is, it's only because she's emotionally stunted because of how and the more you know about her background <laughs> and since we know who her father was and how she was raised and her purpose, I guess I guess it's a little more understandable. But I, I get some of what you mean. I just guess I don't necessarily know if I see her as as a like a one trick pony when it comes to what I think she's had. an I think she's had some character development. But I guess the real answer to whether she has or not will be in this movie. Yeah, I think that will definitively answer it because you saw some in the holiday special. So you can't really you can't really judge her from a from a growth perspective in you know Endgame because she was barely in Endgame, so and things like that and and Thor you can't judge anything like that. So I th- but I I think they're giving her an arc just like it may not be as striking or clear as as uh, Nebula's arc. Yeah. And Nebula has one has has arguably Nebula's had the best arc of anybody of uh, where she started out and where she's ended up. There has been some with Rocket. You know, Rock, Rocket was always, was walking that fine line between being douchey and being okay. You could appreciate him. Guardians two kind of helped flip that. By the end of Guardians two, you kind of saw him cross over, and that continued in Infinity War and Endgame. That you got to see probably the he was annoying at times, but he was but you could see more of the good than bad in Rocket. Unlike Drax, where I think you see more of the and Peter's the same way. You, um, once in a while, you see the positive side of Peter shine through and the he or the human side even even i mean you got even some of that just with some jokey stuff 
in some of the scenes they were showing that that uh Korg was narrating in Love and Thunder. Like when he and he and Thor are like talking on the ship, having a nice moment, and Thor starts, I think, like breaking down or whatever he does. So I it's just that you have moments where you see the less egotistical or part of Peter's come through. So we'll we'll see. I, I'm looking forward to it. I don't I'm I'm not I don't have high expectations for this. I'm curious about the high evolutionary, but again, since it's not going to be, I don't think it's going to, I don't have a lot of faith it's going to be my high evolutionary or enough of it where I'm going to truly like it. But we'll, but we'll see. But, um, good. We uh, had one other reveal, uh, that we didn't really talk about. Uh, the backing track for the trailer was, uh, Rainbow's Since You've Been Gone. So we got a reveal of one of the songs on the soundtrack. Um, yes. We assume, we assume it'll be on the soundtrack unless it's actually been released. But yeah, I would say he's he's he is, I think, pretty good at including stuff that in trailers that are going to be that aren't misdirect song wise, I believe. What uh, do you think of the song choice there? I think it works. It's I mean, on some levels, it was I think when I first heard it, it, it didn't really work for me. But then you're listening to the lyrics and stuff. I think I think it works. And I think it kind of does the overarching it kind of drives some of the points or the themes home that you think you're going to be dealing with yeah. in this movie in related or in relation to the team and, and where they are and, and where they end up so yeah i, I certainly that. have no if, you, if there's one thing you can't complain about with with gun consistently is at least his his choice of songs and yeah speaking, yeah speaking of because i've been talking about how i'm looking forward to the soundtrack uh there still is no information on it about uh, released yet which is not surprising, but uh, given how close we are, I think I remember the the announcement for the soundtrack uh, dropping a month or two before the film did uh, for the second volume. Um, so a little little bitty bit surprised that we don't know the soundtrack for this yet, but we'll we'll see. But I was reading an article about it because I found somebody who's like everything we know about the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 soundtrack. Uh, I didn't know this. Uh, during the pandemic, Gun cur- and I'm reading from this article on Bustle.com, Gun curated a gratuitous mix of 64 songs on Spotify titled the playlist Meredith Quill's Complete Awesome Mix. <laughs> So if I this is just reading this as we were recording tonight is the first time I've ever heard of this being a thing. So I immediately right clicked, open Spotify, you know, signed into my account and liked that playlist so I can listen to it because uh, it's one thing for someone to put together, you know, Mary, yeah, it's a little hokey, you know, somebody who's really a big fan of Guardians in the movies and you know, made their bones, you know, reviewing it or talking about it on YouTube or whatever, if that person puts it together. But this is Gunn himself put this together. And I'm very curious about what is on this. I mean, it's saying that some of them is, is like some Blondie, some Carol King, some Bill Withers and stuff like that. But uh, 64 songs, I'm down. <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting, even if that even if that turns out to be like like two different versions. Of the sound, they said they have it more of a an act like a smaller version of the soundtrack, and then like have a deluxe version or yeah. something. That would be that would be interesting. That would be interesting if they do that. Uh, all right, all right. So let's segue before let's segue into some 
MC, we've had a bunch of little small, I mean, important but relatively small tidbits about, about MCU stuff coming out. Maybe this is not surprising considering where we are with Ant-Man, which we'll get to in a few moments. But uh, Feige's been flapping his gums a lot lately. So we know that when, when next we see Thunderbolt Ross, who will look like Harrison Ford, that he's <laughs> going to be the president of the United States. Talk about failing upwards. Oh, my God. <laughs> that uh, That's... Uh... Just thinking about Thunderbolt Ross as like a real life president of the United States. Well, I mean, based on the based on the John the the William Hurt version, that wouldn't. I mean, that you you could kind of see it on some level, but it. But again, it you would think there would have been some fallout from the, the Sokovia Accords, especially since they obviously have been repealed. But when we see, so, th- I, okay. I'm just I'm just I'm comparing the two and, and maybe some fans of either one of the characters or the other are going to get mad at me for saying this. But I, I see I look at Thunderbolt Ross the exact same way I look at General Lane. Well, I think they are. I think they are somewhat similar characters. I think at times in the books, Thunderbolt Ross has had they've done development with him that he is that he's had they're a just little... they're just so obstinate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I'm not I'm not arguing that, but I I, yeah. I just think based more on his on his track record of what we've seen him try to do and not succeed in the MCU. It's a perfect it's just funny again, the failing the failing upwards concept. <laughs> True. So when, so when True. we so, so when we see him in Captain America New World Order, which is the first time we will see him, he will be president of the United States. So at least Harrison Ford, he's he he's going back to his his old haunts in the White House. So that's number one. We found out that Bucky is going to be the de facto leader of the Thunderbolts. So I say, though, I think using the word de facto is probably important because I still would be surprised if uh, Yelena is not running that team by the end. <laughs> but th- that's kind of I think it's it's not surprising on some level. I think Bucky kind of would deserve an opportunity to do that based on some character growth. But it still will be that's kind of interesting. Unto itself. Yeah. And that Spider-Man Four, the Tom uh, Tom Holland Spider-Man Four, they have the story that they want for that. Feige revealed in that story, and it's being written as we speak that they're starting to put the pen to the paper. So Venom, Venom, Venom. I doubt it's going to be Venom. I really doubt it. I it could be. I doubt it because I don't think it would have taken them this long to just start writing it if that if they because they were setting those they were setting those dominoes up. They could be, but either way, it would not be surprising now since, A, we know there were still movie slots available for Phase 6 that they hadn't filled yet. And there's a lot of rumors circulating, not surprisingly, that Secret Wars might be split up into two movies. That it would not surprise me at all that Spider-Man 4 ends up being in Phase 6 because it would kind of be weird to have Spider-Man be completely absent from Phases 5 and 6 as in solo movies. We know we're going to see him. You know, we will see him and uh, yeah. if we don't see him in Kang Dynasty, you know, you're going to see him in Secret Wars. But the reality is that that's kind of that's kind of a big deal that they, they announced that. I thought that was I thought that was pre- I thought that was pretty cool. And so it's going to it's going to be interesting to see how these things shake out going forward into just like we know that they're getting they're getting closer to filming the Thunderbolts that I think the Thunderbolts. I think the Thunderbolts are getting close to filming too, and I know that obviously. So between uh, Captain America and the Thunderbolts, those are both going to be 
underway relatively soon since those are next what those are both next year releases and so that that's interesting which all leads us back to what's going on currently with uh ant-man which ain't looking too promising considering as we speak as we speak ant-man has a whopping 51 (laughs) percent critic score on rotten tomatoes which is just mind-boggling because it I mean, this could be an example where the critics are completely the mystic completely don't get this movie. But it scares the hell out of me because, I I mean, we're, we're looking at a movie that only started off in the mid 60s and has been dropping like a rock in like one day. It's gone down like 12 points on Rotten Tomatoes. And it doesn't even have 180 reviews yet, considering like the Eternals, I think, ended up with over 400. So if the trend were to continue, this movie might very well end up the most poorly reviewed Marvel movie, the MCU movie ever. And that's mind boggling because I would have bet serious money this money, this movie would have somehow like would have ended up in the 80s somewhere. It would have ended up maybe between Ant-Man and the Wasp, which I think was like eight, I think that was like 87 and like the low, like 82 or so which I think was the first Ant-Man. I'm stunned that this movie is being savaged the way it is. And nobody's saying it's horrible. They're just saying it's very uneven. And it does, and like the first half doesn't really mesh well with the second half. And while everybody seems to like Jonathan Major's performance for that, it just doesn't really work. There's a lot of stuff being thrown at you, and it doesn't doesn't necessarily work. So I think that's a ma- that's a major concern, considering how much capital they've put in this movie, and how important this movie is. So you already know they lost. There's three things that you look for when you move to try to get a successful movie. Obviously, number one is critics so they've already lost the critics there's no way they're going to get that back i mean that's they're they're destined to have a horrible score no matter what especially since marvel movies tend to do one of two things they start off super high and they stay high like endgame and black panther and no way home or they start off much lower than that then they start dropping and dropping and eventually they plateau and and then they stop the drop Ant-Man's going to stop dropping at some point. I don't know if, I don't think it has yet, but the fact is it started off so crappy. There's no reason to think it's going to have a miraculous turnaround. So they've lost that. You kind of hope they can only hope this is going to be like a venom speaking of situation where the audience loved it and the critics just despised it. And what was it like 30 and 81 or something like that? Something like that. I think I'll look in a second. I think venom might've been like even like 29, but you were right. It's some, it's somewhere, it was somewhere in that range. That Marvel has to hope that the audience just absolutely loves this movie. Because even when you look at their box office projections for this, it's only supposed to be like about 95 to 100 for the three day and 110 for the four day weekend. So if the you have to think the critic score is going to have some kind of impact on the box office a little bit, especially since we know we only have to wait like three months to watch this stuff on Disney+. Plus. Now. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not going to go see it opening weekend. So I think so. It really comes down to, and even if it opened at 110, for for Ant Man, that's great because the last movie I think only opened up like around 75. But considering how important this movie is and how big some of the the majority of MCU movies have opened up, especially sequels, I know it's still a nice jump from Ant Man and the Wasp, but still, I mean, it's it's so it's so much further below Doctor Strange and Black Panther and even in Love and Thunder that it's it's I don't know I and it's not a good no matter how you slice it it's not a good look it's not a good start and 
like I said, it just raised, it really puts, it's going to really, if this movie really underachieves, plus you have to, you also have to be realistic. Even if this movie has a pretty decent opening, it's probably going to have a huge second week drop because that's what usually happens for superhero movies. And March is stacked. You go from Creed 3 to Scream to Shazam to John Wick. So there's no reason to think, even if this movie has a decent hold in week two, that it's going to have legs anyway because there's going to be so much competition to cut it off at the knees. That this movie, this could turn out to be a real problem for them, which means the Guardians should be safe. But man, they're going to have to bust their ass to try to give people reasons to go see the Marvels. And that's going to be a hard sell. Because when is Guardians? Guardians, uh, it's May, but I don't remember what day. But I'll look for that in a second, too. I forget what the release date is. So Guardians yeah, is it, May. I, I think it'll be just a stack. I think March, April, May, all three will be pretty be some because April starts off with Super Mario Brothers. Oh, yeah. And there's something else. There's something else in April, too. Yeah. But yeah, but it's really I mean, March especially. But you're right. March into April is really the competition is so heavy that even if Ant-Man has a really good opening, it does better than expectation and it has a decent hold in week two. Man, once you get Creed's going to knock it some of it down, then Scream's going to knock some of it down. And she's I mean, every week it's going to be. So I don't even know how many weeks this thing can hold on to first place. I mean, it may only have two weeks in first place. I can't see it holding on more than three. And then, yeah, and then it just raises that raises the bar. Guardians, like I said, Guardians, they'll probably be insulated no matter what. But, my God, the Marvels is a shaky project at best to begin with because nobody knows anything about it. We've seen nothing about it. I love Amon Villani, but nobody really watched that show for the most part. Uh, we haven't seen friggin' Monica Rambo since Wanda, which is like two, like gonna be like over two years, unless she shows up in Secret Invasion first. And Carol Danvers as a character, forget about the Brie Larson effect. Carol Danvers is not is kind of a insufferable character, and the Maria Rambo version of Captain Marvel didn't do Captain Marvel any favors either, besides the what if versions that have been insufferable. So this movie's gonna be a real hard sell, I think. Under any circumstance, and now if Ant Man turns out to be a not a, it's not gonna, it's never gonna tank. But if it turns out to be mostly a disaster, or it is as close to a disaster as you can get in 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 a highly anticipated Marvel movie, I I don't know. I think that they have a lot of problems if that's if that turns out to be the case. They have to hope this movie really kicks ass, much better than expectation. And that the audience just loves this movie, not just like the Eternals, where the, it was like a 77 versus the 47 split for the critics. They have to hope people love this movie, kind of exactly what happened with Venom, where it was like night and day. It's like, well, people don't even have any idea what the hell the critics were talking about. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was 30 critics, 80 audience, 80, 81, something like that. I'm going to look it up right now. Venom was... Yes, you are correct. Venom is 30 critics, 80 audience score. So even then, the audience score was, was good. It wasn't outrageously good. It was yeah. good. It's just that it was so much higher than the critic score. That's what they're going to need in this movie. They're going to need not the equivalent, because obviously that even if, let's say, Ant-Man only stops and drops to 50, you're not going to get, like, that would basically mean you'd have to get, like, uh, almost like a 100% audience score to, to, to get that 50 to get a, the same raw number increase 
you're going to have to hope you're going to get like a 77 to 80% score from the audience to set, to save that, to save that movie. And don't forget, I mean, the original Venom didn't have, that was like a $90 million opening, wasn't it? Or something like that. Or was, or is that the second movie? I forget off the top. I don't of my head. remember. The, I don't remember the box office, but uh, yeah. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about this. Uh, oh, by the way, Black Adam also, I think, is, I, I saw an article about this the other day. I think Black Adam almost has an exact same um, audience versus critic score as uh, as Venom does. Let's take a look. Yeah, that the see that's part of, that's part of that. Actually, it has, it has a much it actually has a much better audience score than Black than uh, Venom. It has a 38. It has a so actually Black Adam has a better audience a better critic score 38 and an 88 for the audience score. So oh, it, but the but the same difference though. Yeah, it's you're right. Percentage wise and raw numbers, it's a fifty percent difference. But but again, the crit it, it it's the audience generally speaking liked Black Adam more than Venom. Consider you know, all things being equal, and I think and that's something that gets lost in the narrative that you know, we get with Black Adam now too, with the uh, piling on Dwayne Johnson, which is gaining momentum. But yeah, I think. I, it's it's really hard to fathom what's going on with Ant Man because I would not in a million years have thought that this movie would be having this much trouble. But especially credits. given what it's supposed to set up. And I think that, but that could be the that could be the explanation potentially or the excuse of why the critics don't like it because it's so less of an Ant Man movie and more of a setup movie. And they could say that's why it doesn't work. So that could be where the audience is more forgiving. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's taken a lot of people by surprise that this movie is because especially I mean, it's, it's also putting it in perspective. It's like if Love and Thunder could end up with like a 60 something score on Rotten Tomatoes, it is on some levels hard to imagine that Ant-Man really is is more of an incoherent mess and totally pro- problematic than. But it doesn't mean it's I'll have a better idea once I see it tomorrow night, too. But I I. It's disturbing because it's not what I expected. I, like I said, I expected this to be a middle of the road. I would have bet anything that the the one thing they didn't have to worry about was that this movie was going to be, was going to get a really bad score right off the top. I figured that it was, I would have definitely bet money. This would have been in the eighties somewhere that they wouldn't really have to worry about this. I wasn't expecting, Oh, it's like no way home, but I was not, but I was not expecting this movie to just kind of be like, it's like savaged and yeah. that's what and that's what and that's what's going on and, and again we don't there's no there's really no reason to think that this movie has uh really bottomed out yet it may very well not have because there's so many more reviews to come in i just don't yeah i think it's uh i think this is going to be something that's going to be very 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 interesting actually it looks like the original it looks like the original Venom was like eighty million dollar domestic. Hmm. So, the, so the second movie did. I think the second movie must have opened bigger. Um, but either way, that I mean, it got a good word of mouth, so it, it it had a pretty good second week, I thought too. Yeah, unfortunately, where I am is not sh- for some reason the box office mojo is not for this movie. It's not showing me. The numbers. Let me go. Speaking of which, let me go to that site. The numbers that I think, and that's what Marvel has to hope for. They, yeah, they, mouth. yeah, because because you like like we said, you you are you already know 
you already know because it's common sense and because of the Disney Plus factor that you already know it, this is going to have to have some impact on its op- on its opening box office because some people that especially the some of the people that have been souring on the MCU as a whole that this is going to not this is kind of if anything it reinforces the fact that they're kind of like getting M- MCU'd out not because I think they're superhero movie'd out just because the the quality has not been there generally speak and I think that is this will feed into that narrative so that's what that and again I I'm just it's really hard this this is kind of this is kind of mind boggling I I wasn't surprised. Honestly, about Thor having a lower score and Doctor Strange having a not a great tomato meter score. And obviously, I think most people can understand why the Eternals didn't. But this, yeah, this one's this one's a head scratcher because it does come it does come out of left field. But it could be it really could be a huge problem, especially if word of mouth does not save this movie. And it doesn't have a very a better than expected opening and a, and a really good hold. Uh, Venom had a thirty five million dollar second weekend. So it only dropped fifty six percent. So that was pretty good. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I remember the the drop off wasn't as it was above it was above average in terms of uh, second week stuff because usually they I think second I can't remember what I heard but it's like on average most second weeks are X six. percentage of the original opening and this and Venom did a little better than average yeah it, i think it's somewhere like around i think 60 is not that uncommon 60 yeah. 62 was not uncommon for good for, for for venom actually it took until week seven before it dropped 60%. yeah percent yeah it's longevity that's what it was <laughs> oh but i mean mind you by the time we got to week seven it was almost done anyway because it almost yeah. it only made like about two million dollars that weekend but the point is it's it, it had a very slow incremental drop so yeah we're gonna we're gonna have to watch and see uh ant-man uh Obviously, we'll be able to talk about that a little next week when, um, because we'll have real numbers to talk about. So it'll be curious. Speaking of numbers, I, I have to put, I have to, uh, pat this movie on the back a little bit. Uh, <laughs> speaking of Black Adam, uh, Puss in Boots passed 400 million globally. So Puss in Boots, I think, has now left, uh, Black Adam behind <laughs> comfortably in the rearview mirror and it's going to be passing a lot of other movies soon. I, I think Puss in Boots deserves a lot of credit for being this little movie that could because it did not have a particularly – it did not in real raw numbers have a particularly good opening in December. I think it really underachieved. But it had such good word of mouth, and almost everybody who's seen this movie has liked it so much and have seen it multiple times. And it's and luckily for them, it's like the only animated kids movie that's been out pretty much since December. So it just keeps racking up the money, and even though it's available on demand – People still, I mean, it beat out last weekend. It beat out Knock at the Cabin and Knock at the Cabin second week. <laughs> it was close. It was razor thin. The, the actual, the estimates had Knock in the Cabin, I think, number five ahead of it. But at the end of the day, <laughs> Puss in Boots did make like 100000 or like $150,000 more. But the fact that this movie is still holding, it's not, it's not holding it on like Avatar has. But I think it deserves credit for you know, a really good character in a really fun movie. So if you haven't seen it yet, one way or the other, I certainly recommend you see Puss in Boots. And the one thing I I do want to 
I mentioned briefly, because I know we're going to be wrapping up in a few seconds. For the life of me, I cannot understand as we speak on on February 15th, especially since they dropped the final trailer today. How the hell are the Creed 3 tickets not on sale when it opens in two weeks? I'm just, I am just don't understand this. The friggin' Fast 10 tickets went on sale last week, literally like two and a half months before the movie comes out, which is old school, by the way. I mean, I don't think people have been buying tickets particularly all that much. But the reality is that's the old school method because I had tickets for, for F9 in March before everything shut down in the pandemic. And that wasn't opening until May. So this is the old school method that even though m- most uh, movies aren't doing this right now, they're not releasing their tickets that far in advance. But it boggles my mind. And it's also getting in the way of my advance t- of me buying my tickets because the Regal app, I hate so much this aspect of it that it only lets you buy three you can only have three free tickets in advance and purchased at any one time. It won't let you buy a fourth. And I already have Scream and I have Ant-Man. So that gives me one to buy. That's why I didn't buy FX or Fast 10 yet, because I'm waiting to get Creed. The problem is even after Ant-Man comes off the books tomorrow night, if I get Fast X, that means that's locked in to May. So I only have two movies to play with until May and we're probably going to the movies next week, and you know Creed's going to be released as the latest has to be released during the week. So I don't know what to do because it's going to put me in a bind. I may have to – I think I'm just not going to get Fast X tickets until I get my Creed tickets. But it's annoying that they do that because they do it on purpose, Regal does, to limit – I think to try to inconvenience you. It doesn't really limit you because you could always go to the movie the day of and get your tickets, but you can't get them in advance. So that's annoying. So I think – so it doesn't deter you. So it doesn't it doesn't prevent you from doing it, but it is an inconvenience. So I think they're counting on that, keeping people away a little bit. And I wish they'd do away with that or work around it. So they do it by month. You could have like you can't have more than three advanced tickets for each calendar month. But if you had three already for May, let's say Guard, let's say Guardians went on sale this week and I had Guardians and Fast X that I could still buy three advanced tickets for March because it, because the other tickets I had were for a couple of months down the road. Either way, it's annoying, but I still can't believe the Creed 3 tickets aren't on sale, and it doesn't make a damn lick of sense. But that's it for me. Well, I was going to circle back to the Marvel stuff. Go ahead. Um, I'm sorry. I no, thought... no, no, you're good. Uh, so I'm thinking here, the way the – what's the problem with Phase 4 stuff? Like what – so many of these films have been lackluster, you know, critically speaking, or audience reaction, or box office, or some combination of the various three. And so, the shows, too, and some of the shows, well, too. Well, so, so here's what's this, – this is what I'm getting at is the way these movies are made hasn't changed. Uh, the audience really necessarily hasn't changed other than, you know, people who just – said okay we got the end game story i'm done so what's changed and the only thing i can think of is we've added the tv shows now i don't know that we have the data you know what percentage of the audience that is going to the films has seen these tv shows uh i don't know i I don't know what that is i don't know look even if this is a legitimate concern i don't even think it's 50 percent or as even high as 50 percent of the reason why Phase four is and four it has been so lackluster, but I think it could be a factor, however small. Is I wonder if the narrative they're weaving so heavily, more heavily than it should, rather I should say, more heavily than it should, relies on your understanding of what's been happening in the TV shows as well. Do some people feel a little 
a little more lost than they normally would because they're not getting the full story if they're not watching the shows. I think that's a good point. I think there has to be some truth in that for certain projects. Like, obviously, if you were <laughs> and we can joke about it because we know friggin uh, Sam Raimi and his writer didn't bother watching all of, of WandaVision, which is embarrassing as hell. It absolutely is, considering the character that you were using and where she was seen last. Yeah. But <laughs> it's just my again, talk about things being done half. I mean, that's just like talk about it. it's required re- viewing. But I was going to say reading. That's why I had to pivot real quick that I think for something like Multiverse of Madness. Yeah. If you did not watch WandaVision, I mean, yes, they gave you a little, they give you a little primer when, when Steven and Wanda are first talking about some of the stuff. But yeah, if you didn't understand the full, what was really going on in that show, it wouldn't, what, what Wanda was trying to do and, you know, what and why wouldn't have had as much of an impact. I think that's true. I also think on some levels, it's also true that we have seen minimal impact of some of these shows in movies. And I think that's a problem. You know, Loki may, I mean, again, only because it's the same actor playing though, a different version of the character now with Kang in this movie, but Loki has had no ramifications on a, on, on a, t- on a movie. We know, uh, Ms. Marvel is going to, we just haven't seen that, seen that yet. Moon Knight barely had any ties at all to the MCU. And then in the big one, Captain America New World Order, that is definitely going to have to rely on you knowing that Sam's Cap. Yeah, and probably and probably some of the uh, some of the other stuff or the nuances that might have might have gone down in that movie. That also factors into the Thunderbolts too. No, because you're going to have to know about Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character and yeah. you're going to ha- and which again, if you don't didn't know her from the shows, you would have been kind of lost. I mean, you did see her at the end of you did see her at the end of Black Widow, but you would have been lost at the end of Black Widow if you hadn't already seen her in the TV show, too. I think I think you're right. I think the TV show and Kevin and another thing Feige has said following up on this is he's kind of acknowledged that there's too many TV shows. So what's go, what we're going to be getting in fi- phases five and six, and we're going to get more streamlined content, which hopefully will have more will be more relevant. And then also and then it, it would obviously if it's more relevant, then it'll make it more must see TV and more and people may watch it more as opposed to one of the bad things that happened with their TV shows was almost immediately it became clear you're not going to be getting these big reveals that are going to be that are going to be critical. You're not going to be getting this uh, Luke Skywalker showing up in the last episode of the Mandalorian moment that you're not that they set this bar Marvel had this bar of these post-credit scenes that are really important and something happening at the end. And, and they had very little of that throughout all of their TV shows. So what happened was most of these shows, it's kind of what I think the Bad Batch is. The Bad Batch is entertaining when I watch it. Some of the episodes mean absolutely nothing. Occasionally you get a few really cool episodes, but none of it's must-see viewing. It's not like, oh, my God, did you watch it last night? You had to see it. That's what Marvel, I think, has really suffered from is because almost none of their shows has had that. Wanda had the buzz because it was the first show. But Falcon and the Winter Soldier kind of helped shoot that down. And obviously, Loki, as Loki played out, that didn't have, you know, super huge impact. And, and, and obviously, Ms. Marvel had nothing of relevance short term. So I think that's, and She Hulk the same way. You get tidbits. I mean, you get, you get plot tidbits about the MCU as a whole, 
but you can even make the case. I mean, even Hawkeye, even Hawkeye was like that. I think that's part of the problem that it's something where you don't, you just basically need a summary of what happened in the show. If you're really interested, you don't need to watch it. And I think that's been a, an ongoing problem with their shows that there hasn't been, it's not, you're not invested. It's not must see TV. And I think that's part of the problem that they're, they're having. And, th- and it's not just with Marvel. I mean, I think a lot of the Star Wars stuff on Disney Plus has been suffering from that too. That it's just not, it's not where you feel you need to see it when it drops something, whether it's Andor, whether it's the Bad Batch. The Mandalorian has been different up to this point. So fingers crossed that the Mandalorian will continue that trend and that'll be something people will definitely want to watch at, at like three o'clock in the morning Eastern time when it drops because it's so important. But the Marvel shows have failed at that. And I think that you are, I think that's another aspect of why it's a combination of some of being lost. If you don't watch the shows, you're not, you're not getting this aspect, but there's also not going along with that. Not enough of a motivating factor to make you have to watch the show because not much happens in it either enough to keep you interested. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the only major change has been the TV. So therefore something, at least part of the problem has to be rooted within the TV. So, and I think, I think the, and I think it's the projects that they've t- undertaken. I think whether it was ego or whether it was literally because they, they had one plan in place. And then, of course, the Fox merger took place, the acquisition, and then all these other characters that if you would have known, and it, like if you had a crystal ball and know, hey, you're going to have these characters to use in five years, three years before, then you could have started making plans to introduce them earlier. But. Which I still think is funny that so many people, when the Fox acquisition was going, was was being discussed, it's like they were saying, "We don't need the X Men, we don't need the Fantastic Four. Look at how well we're doing now, and look at where the hell the MCU would be if they didn't have the X Men and the Fantastic Four and all the characters to come with them, warming up in the bullpen. If you had none of that and you had to rely on just what you had right now, with the way things are going." The MCU would be in a lot bigger problem and greater yeah. trouble than they are now because they've picked some they have picked some lousy projects and chosen some not. I mean, I said this. I said this when they announced it. Phase four. The, the, remember, phase four was supposed to begin with Black Widow and then the Eternals and then Shang-Chi. They really lucked out that they ended up switching those projects because they would have had a, an OK but but a pretty lackluster Black Widow, which only serves to introduce all these other characters they're going to revisit. The story itself was completely throwaway. Then you would have had a disaster in the Eternals before. And I think and I I'm try, and I was trying to remember this. If Spider-Man was originally supposed to come out before Shang. I don't think it was supposed to come out before Shang-Chi. I think Spider-Man was always supposed to come out the December that it did. It's just that the whole slate ended up getting pushed back further because of COVID. That either way, that. I mean, because Spider-Man, as much as you love it, it's not an MC. It's not a Marvel Studios movie. It's an MCU movie, but it's a Sony movie. <laughs> so it's not even something they can completely take credit for. Uh, but I, I think some of their project choices are really I mean, the Marvels, I think, is questionable. Uh, I think I don't know about Captain. I really don't know about Captain America. We need to know more about Captain America, New World Order, too. Uh it's going to be hard carrying that shield, literally carrying, you know, so I think I think they do, they, ha, they have not planned projects as well as they could have. I think they've had 
the quality of the content has suffered. And because of the TV shows, we've had way too much of it. And I think you put it all together also because Endgame was also Endgame may simply be. And we I know we talked about this when it happened. This may it may eventually just you know prove the prove the point that Endgame may just eventually prove itself to be an impossible act to follow. Secret Wars as a one off or a two off could be because you can throw more characters in there. But does that make it more compelling? And if, if, if it has no impact going forward and half the characters you see don't exist anymore, I guess you for a single project, I think you can still get the interest up. Spider-Man No Way Home proved that. I don't know if you're going to be able to build up to have big interest in events like you did before. And Endgame may just simply prove to be an impossible thing to match. And they're not helping their cause by keeping us in the entire friggin' dark about the Avengers. And if that continues all through 2023, they are really digging themselves a hole because you can't just throw anybody into a team and call them the Avengers and think people are going to care. Yeah. All right. Are we done? I think so. All right. Well, if people want to find us and give us their thoughts on those Super Bowl trailers or if anybody's seen Legion or any of this stuff, what do they do? Lanterncast.com. The email is lanterncast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, hashtag GLCast. You can also email us at lanterncast, lanterncast at gmail.com if you want our Discord information. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please leave us a positive review on all platforms that you listen to us on. And last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a text or a voicemail, 708-LANTERN, and let us know what you think. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.